Well, welcome to the Analysis Mason podcast. I'm Larry Goldman, Chief Analyst at Analysis Mason. Uh, today, uh, I'm talking with Caroline Gabriel, Research Director for Networks, and Networks certainly includes 5G and 6G that we're going to be talking to about 6G convergence today. So, uh, welcome, Caroline. Thank you, Larry, and welcome to the podcast. So, Caroline, we're going to be talking about 6G here, and um, most of what we've heard on an ongoing basis right now is about 6G centers on higher capacity spectrum uh, and so forth. But today we're talking about 6G convergence, and that takes us well beyond spectrum. Well, what is 6G convergence? Yes, no, it's absolutely right, Larry. I think a lot of the academic work and discussion around 6G and what it may look like has indeed focused on uh, spectrum, particularly the sub-terahertz spectrum. Um, but that sort of starts with the presumption that one type of network can really do everything. It doesn't matter how much spectrum you have, there will still be, for instance, more efficient ways to reach the kind of network capacity that we're going to need for the next generation of applications and user experiences. Fibre, um, if you don't need to be mobile, will always be uh, deliver more capacity uh, more cost effectively, for example. So really with 6G convergence, we're thinking in terms of not technologies, but what are these new uh, user experiences, these digital transformations that are starting to evolve? What are they going to require in terms of connectivity? And there is not really a single access network that's going to deliver that optimally and affordably. We're going to need a whole combination um, of networks. So, of course, that will be cellular, 5G moving towards 6G. Um, it'll be Wi-Fi, fiber, non-terrestrial networks such as satellite. Um, there's probably connectivity um, solutions that will emerge that we're not even talking about yet. So we think converging um, all of these different um, options into, in effect, a network of networks. So it's not just about them being able to hand off to each other or talk to each other. It's really about full integration that can be at the network core, it can be at the access level and, and at the device level. So you get a big sort of seamless pool of connectivity um, that will provide both um, capacity, but also very importantly, actually ubiquitous coverage, which will be very essential for some of the digital transformations that uh, that um, enterprises and, and consumer providers are looking at. Okay. So I can see why it's certainly uh, 6G embodies a lot more than just more spectrum. That's really interesting. But here we are talking about 6G. Uh, I think a lot of people listening on the podcast are probably thinking, gosh, we're just getting started with 5G. <laughs> and so why, why is it important to be talking about 6G and new architectures already? Yes, I know. And there's always that danger that it seems like you're you know, starting to talk about these things too early. As you say, um, there's lots of 5G networks that have hardly begun to be deployed, let alone fully monetized. Um, I think that we have to think about 6G not as being a direct successor to 5G, but as being um, a new platform architecture ecosystem that will deliver a completely different set of, of use cases to what we've ever really considered for, for cellular networks. And our current 5G networks, um, they've generally been built very conventionally in architecture. They look like 4G+. They work fine for conventional telco models, and it's those telcos who've rolled them out. So in a way, this isn't so surprising, but it does limit the extent to which they can enable the digital transformations that people are really aspiring to. 
So there's another vision of a network that is fully edge native. It's completely cloud integrated. It has native AI in every element. Um, these are the sort of architectures that companies are talking about to deliver things like metaverses, whatever, that, again, that may um, evolve to, to look like. So when we talk convergence, it's not just different access networks. It's the network with the cloud. And none of this was really in scope when 5G was defined. And you think when the 5G use cases were conceived, all that work started 15 years ago. So either 5G that we have now needs to evolve very quickly and radically to support this sort of new generation of requirements, or we need to start thinking about a, a different architecture. Uh, and inevitably that gets labelled 6G, although sometimes we wish it wouldn't, because I think we need to think about it as being something parallel and different rather than it's it's the next generation straight on from 5G. And it's just important to state again that this is um, this is about underlying architectures. It's not just a new generation of radios, although those clever radios will certainly play their role. All right. So, so... 6G isn't going to be just a, a, a another generation of radio access, but there's a. You mentioned this concept of a of a converged access network. So, this is the significant thing in in a way that's that, that's going on here. We talk about 6G convergence. So, talk a little bit more here about converged access network. Yes, I mean at its simplest, this really means getting high speed, high quality connectivity to every person and every object on the planet. And so a feature of, of 6G, as, as we're thinking about it, will be full ubiquity. And we've never, ever had completely ubiquitous coverage, of course. But that is absolutely necessary for an architecture that's going to support a massive amounts of data, which is being um, analysed with AI, which is make, being used for real-time decision-making. Without that, you can't really achieve the vision of the fusion of digital and physical worlds. Um, for those to, to fuse completely, you'd need this constant connectivity absolutely everywhere, unbroken and in every nook and cranny. I mean, any sort of vehicular applications are a really obvious example. Um, and that metaverse is going to require a lot of, of vehicles. It's theoretically possible to build cellular infrastructure to reach every part of the world, um, though not the oceans, um, but it's not cost effective. So really, you're looking for this balance of cost versus performance, and you've got to kind of strike that balance for each type of location. So that can mean denser fibre, where you want really fully reliable connectivity and maximum speed, or it can mean satellite, where coverage is really challenging, and there's there's no one solution that, that ticks all the boxes. And I think what's important is that this convergence has been uh, theoretically interesting for quite a long time, but we're seeing the evolution of technologies that will actually help deliver it and help with the economics of it. So the low Earth orbit satellites are an obvious example. They're very much in the headlines, but they do provide lower latency, lower cost compared to traditional satellites. So that can make it more cost effective to get to full coverage. And also a really critical enabler is the development of converged devices. So, for instance, um, a smartphone that can have um, direct connectivity to a satellite that's being standardised in 3GPP. It's an absolutely critical um, enabler of, of a converged network. So you look at these developments going on that will enable that network. As I say, it's not it's got to go beyond just being able to hand off um, a, a signal or a piece of traffic from one type of network to another. It's got to look at 
full integration so that the service providers or the operators of these networks can orchestrate the whole lot as a single pool of connectivity. So they just have one absolutely gigantic global network, effective virtualized, of course, but effectively um, at, at their fingertips. You mentioned these use cases for this converged access network as being much more demanding use cases and so forth. And I think you're referring to how much more data is going into the processing and the need for, say, AI and data manipulation. So how will 6G convergence enable this in a way that the 5G doesn't? Yeah, so it's a good question, because I do believe that AI is really at the heart of the next phase of digital transformations because of that need to act on huge amounts of data very, very rapidly. But that really means having AI baked into the network at every location, every device. Um, and that in turn means that, for instance, in the mobile network, you need an air interface that has native AI. And then that will work with AI that's in the edge cloud and AI in the devices. Um, and and it will also, of course, support the network itself. So the, this network will be AI enabled. So the AI will be helping to make decisions um, on the data and the experiences for the users. Um, but it will also enable the network to sort of constantly be shifting and changing um, as the requirements of the users around uh, change as well. None of this was thought about in any detail in the early 5G um, standards, which is not surprising, as we said, given the time that that work started. And it can be retrofitted. And some of the 5G advanced releases, so the upcoming um, 3GPP releases, are starting to look at um, integrating AI into the air interface, for instance. But it's still completely mobile centric. It's not really looking at the network as, as, as one big pool. And, and it is um, being added on uh, as an afterthought, whereas the argument for starting again with a new architecture is that it would have AI and edge native um, there right from the beginning, in, inherent to the architecture, which in the end you would expect would make that architecture um, more, more capable, more future-proofed um, and, and delivering better performance. So, Caroline, you're talking about quite, a, uh, quite an architectural change, quite a different a lot of change here, uh, but we have established telecom industry of network operators and key suppliers that have, uh, you know, have existed and invested heavily before this change. And so, do you think they'll be able to make the investments and provide the technology for this new architecture? I think the question is who's going to make those investments because you're right. We we have a, a telecom industry and its and its supply chain. And what we're not saying is that they should all throw away everything that they do and move to this kind of brave new 6G world. I mean, I believe that there are very strong business cases for conventional telecom services um, delivered on relatively conventional networks. And those will will carry on for, for decades, probably. Um, and a lot of companies will choose to, to focus on, on just that, that particular market. So I think it's important to, to say that 6G doesn't replace 4G and 5G. It probably comes along um, to the side of it. A lot of its ideas and concepts are really developing from the cloud world, the internet world, um, Silicon Valley. They're not really traditional telco concepts at all. Um, that we're just bolting the connectivity onto that. Um, so I think that raises the question of, will it be 
um, the operators and suppliers who make these investments, and, and should it be? And and some will. I mean, we, we see, of course, a few of the greenfield operators um, like Rakuten. We see some of the, the very interesting um, operators in the advanced Asian economies. You know, they're already leaping over. They're, they're, they're changing from being telcos to, to being something completely different. Um, but I I think we need a much, much broader ecosystem and a bigger set of investors um, to make this 6G a reality. And that will be uh, a combination of co-investments, perhaps between telecom people and cloud companies and other stakeholders, but also a lot of infrastructure only investors. Um, this is going to need a vast amount of physical infrastructure. It may be a virtualized world, but if you're going to have this density of edge compute, for instance, um, that, that's, a, that's a lot of physical uh, stuff to be, to be rolled out uh, and to be financially supported. So we'd expect to see a sort of new generation of infrastructure investors of the kinds that have driven industries on before, other industries like transportation. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of political discussion at the minute about whether the telcos should be really should always be paying for all the networks when they're monetized by other companies. Uh, I think that question will not be so political in 60. It will just become a fact of life that everybody needs to chip in um, in order to to get these these gains, because these new experiences um, are going to be monetized by a huge array of different companies. Okay. Quite a bit of change going on. Uh, but you said uh, just a moment ago, you said, well, the existing business models, existing things are going to continue to be valuable as they are and, and go on. 6G is just is about uh, doing something different uh, beyond that. And so uh, talk a little bit more about how the business models of the industry need to change then to take advantage of the new architecture. Yes. Um and, and that's what's important because with 5G, 5G was um, conceived to support new business models. And we ourselves have talked a lot about how in the end 5G needs to be monetized in different ways to 4G. It needs to support enterprise and mission critical services and so on. And most of that hasn't really happened. Um, one reason is that the conventional telcos are still generating cash and some growth from their traditional models. And perhaps the change that you and I are talking about today is very, very daunting and risky. But another is that although the 5G community thought about new use cases, they thought about them in a really radio-centric way. So there was, there was lots of focus on ultra-low latency in the air interface, for instance, um, but not really about how that would be monetized. And actually, rather few business models have emerged that really justify um, deploying that sort of um, that sort of latency. So I, I think, again, we come back to the difference that's made once you have edge and AI everywhere. So then it's no longer just a much more capable radio that can behave in different ways. It's a whole platform that will support new user um, experiences. And the business models to justify these must relate to those user experiences and all the applications that go with it. Um, and whether it will be the telcos that, that do that monetization, I don't know. The history of the internet shows that only fairly few telcos have been successful at expanding their business model beyond connectivity. Um, but if we're having this much broader array of investors into the technology, um, we may expect a, a, a much more, a much bigger range of business models as well. They don't all have to be telco business models. And there may be plenty of telcos mm -hmm. who continue even in 6G 
to primarily monetize connectivity. But then we'll see providers of enterprise services and those industrial service providers, you know, robotics providers and so on. Developers, of course, of some of the metaverse applications, very, very advanced gaming. Um, the companies who control those developer bases, the companies who supply the orchestration and the AI itself. And there's there's so many opportunities for companies to be able to enhance a business model they've already got or, or launch into a brand new area. And some telcos will do it, but I think we do, we have to break away from thinking about 6G as something that can only be part of a telco business model. This has to be part of the business model for the whole sort of um, TMT and digital community. Okay. So you've been talking to other people about this in the in, in the industry. Uh, you recently led a panel discussion on this topic at the 6G Symposium. Uh, it happened uh, this summer, actually. Uh, so what was the reaction to, to this 6G convergence uh, at, at that event? Yeah, so it was, it was a really interesting event. And uh, it was interesting because with the 6G in the title, I mean, like our podcast, it runs the risk of people saying, well, this is all very blue sky, but I... I can't really be thinking about that for a long time. But actually, it, uh, the panels that they ran in the event were generally um, very down to earth, very pragmatic, making the point that these are big changes, as, as you said, Larry. So people need to start thinking about them now. It's not something that we can just wake up in uh, in five years' time and, and say, oh, right, I need to deploy this now. And there was a lot of satellite um, uh, a lot of satellite input, uh, in certainly into the panel that I was sitting on. So very much looking at convergence beyond fixed and mobile and out into uh, the, the new generations of non-terrestrial connectivity. And a point that perhaps we haven't touched on but came out strongly in this um, from, from that event was that policy and regulation need to catch up. I mean, you know, if we think the telecom industry is a little traditional, of course, the policy and regulation surrounding it is even more so. Um, I mean, it's, it's national when this is inherently a global network that we're talking about and still very focused on very traditional ways of allocating spectrum and of uh, giving people operating licenses, which um, don't quite seem to stack up with this vision that we've been talking about today. So if I had to add one thing that came strongly out of that particular event, it's that you know regulators need to also start thinking um, about something a little more radical in the future. Certainly a, a great deal going on here. I think we're going to have to uh, bring our podcast discussion to a close, though. And so uh, let me just give you a, a moment to have your closing thoughts on the topic, Caroline. Sure. Yes, I mean, it's been really interesting to discuss it, and I'm sure we will come back to it many, many more times. Um, but I think my, my closing thought would be that, you know, we don't, uh, we're not saying that 5G has been a failure. 5G is delivering certain things for the business, um, and it has a roadmap. But the current 5G advanced roadmap risks being a tweak. So we do believe that either that needs to become more radical within the 3GPP world, um, which in effect might turn 5G advanced into 6G, you know, if they really start to embrace a lot of these new concepts in, into the, the roadmap. Or, um, as perhaps I'm arguing, perhaps 6G needs to develop outside the traditional structures altogether and it probably needs a new name in that case but it needs to be much more driven by the cloud industry the internet industry so that it's delivering something genuinely new in which telcos have a part but which is not constrained by the traditional way that the mobile networks um, have been defined to date 
Yes. Well, thank you very much, uh, Caroline. And uh, I just really appreciate your willingness to actually look into these uh, these issues, think through them, uh, share your thoughts about them. It's uh, it's great. I uh, want to remind our listeners that there is uh, Caroline's written uh, an article. It's available to you, uh, and their link to that article is in the show notes for the podcast. And thanks very much for listening today. Thank you very much. <laughs>